you the real MVP. Blocked by James. I'm Michael Jordan. Stop it. Get some help. He's on fire. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Hoop. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me once again is... Jalen Dixon, what's up, guys? Jalen, it's been... Uh, it's been, a, I see, about a week, over a week since we talked, I think. Over a week. Yep, yeah. Over. And uh, unfortunately, the plan to... Uh, of course, this is always the way it goes. The plan to discuss uh, post every game of the finals was, came to a crashing halt because we had a pretty massive storm and I was without internet or power for almost a week. So um, we weren't able to talk about game five too much. Um, let me just real quick ask you, anything you saw in game five, did it change your views about game six? Did you did you? You know, we and I were both picking Boston going down to it. Did you anything in game five? I think we both kind of thought that Boston would win, but we weren't going to be surprised if Golden State won. Right. And that's kind of how it ended. And I think the biggest thing, Brian, my biggest takeaway was that after they lost game five, especially after seeing the aftermath of game six, I think the Celtics being rattled by the ideology that, wow, we just lost back-to-back games in a Mm. series for the first time. I think that really stuck with them and really resonated in a way where I think it showed up on the floor. And clearly it just seemed like in game six, they just didn't want it as much as Golden State did. Golden State was on the fence of we either close this out tonight or we go back to the crib and we try to go finish it there. They were playing with house money, essentially, Mm -hmm. in terms of having two games to win one. Boston was the ones that had their backs against the wall, and I felt like they did not respond accordingly And I know everybody wants to beat up on Jason Tatum and everybody can have fun about the fact that he kind of did not show up in this postseason, Um, specifically this series. I mean, not obviously the postseason, he played really well throughout this time, Mm -hmm. but when the lights were on brightest, this moment is going to overshadow, I think his pathway, you know, to this time. So that's one of those things that I know everybody's beating up on, but I think the truth of the matter was, I think all of game six resonated from the way game five ended as Boston just in a way being in unfamiliar territory in comparison to what they've seen so far this postseason, which was that they are a good like rebounding team in the sense mm-hmm. that if they fall, they're a team that is very good at recovering mm-hmm. and showing up with a new schematic game plan in the next game. And in this case, Falling down in game five, it I think it just it, it started a whirlwind, you know, that kind of ended up yeah. spiraling over to game six. I think that um, I'm right there with you. Uh, the The thing that, you know, we said from the outset that I was kind of afraid of is that Boston had trouble putting away teams in the playoffs. Mm. And they had some big opportunities in game four and game five to put Golden State at least on their heels, put them away. And they just, they honestly failed to do it. You know, they failed, they failed to uh, put their foot on their throat and finish the job. And I think that the majority of game six was controlled by Golden State. And even though there were some runs by Boston, it never, it never felt, um, it never felt like 
Boston really had a chance to win that game. Game five, I kind of felt the other way. I kind of thought, you know, watching the game, it felt like, man, this is a game Boston's going to win. They won the third quarter. You know, they went into the fourth on a run, and it seemed like, okay, they're going to they're going to take this game um, by the proverbial ball sack and mm-hmm. finish, you know. But, you know, give it to the Warriors. Andrew Wiggins played out of his mind. Um, and Kerr coached, I think, one hell of a series. To be honest yeah, with you. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely agree with you there. So I have three takeaways. Tell me what you think about this. Um, and you kind of already mentioned one. Um, one is uh, the Tatum piece because I think people are being a little harsh. You know, he had a rough game six, he had a rough series, but he's young and we can look over time. You know, LeBron struggled in his first two trips to the finals, right? Mm-hmm. Kobe struggled kind of in his first trip to the finals. Uh, every player has issues typically in their first finals because it's their first finals. You know, mm-hmm. unless you're somebody like Iverson got there later on in his career, he was kind of already seasoned and he had, you know, obviously phenomenal finals. They were just completely overmatched by the Lakers. Um, Dirk had a decent, you know, finals, but, and, and Dwayne Wade had a decent first finals, but for the most part, these players tend to struggle. I mean, Steph didn't have a great first finals. He probably should have been MVP of that series, but I I think people are piling too much on Tatum. He's young. He's good. He will be a superstar. That was one takeaway. My other takeaway is that Steve Kerr is probably right now the second best coach in the NBA. If you consider pop so great, my, my issue with pop obviously is, he hasn't had to do it in a while. You know, he he's coached up a lot of these younger teams, but to me, Steve Kerr is the best coaching of players, not the best X's and O's coach. I think that's, I think that might be Eric Spolstra or, um, or even Monty Williams. But I think Steve Kerr, as far as like knowing his team, wrangling, wrangling the egos and putting people in line and putting people in to succeed, he's the best coach. That was number two. And my biggest takeaway from this series is still to this day, this has been a moniker for years, but this series rings true defense wins championships because as good as, as, as good as Golden State was on offense, they were better on defense. Mm -hmm. And it came down to Draymond playing outstanding defense and Andrew Wiggins playing some of the best defense he's ever played in his career. Those are my three big takeaways. So if we kind of go down the list and we start with the Jason Tatum notion, I definitely agree with you that the heat has definitely been a lot like hotter on Jason Tatum than I really anticipated considering this was his first finals appearance. I think the biggest thing too is just that when you look at the way in which Jason Tatum's career has started, this is kind of the progression that everything is kind of cultivated to. Yeah. And it felt like we reached that crescendo that was anticlimactic in comparison to what our assumptions were right there was the graphics i think i mentioned this to you in um one of our um i think it might have been in the preview or it had to be around game one tatum's pathway in terms of the teams they took down in comparison yeah yeah i remember you saying that yeah taking down brooklyn after losing to brooklyn Mm -hmm. uh, the year before taking down the heat taking down milwaukee as part of the pathway to getting here and i think one of the bigger things was that the pathway that boston took in order to reach the finals was putting jason tatum in that light where we had to really have a conversation about like where does jason tatum rank amongst the best players in the nba i think that jason tatum 
typically throughout this season and throughout past seasons has always been looped up into the conversation of he's one of the best guys 23 and younger, right? Yeah. He's always, he always is in that conversation. Yeah. One of my bold predictions um, coming into the season was that I thought Jason Tatum was going to take the leap that was going to put him in the MVP conversation. And during the regular season, we didn't really see stints of that until January on. Mm -hmm. But I think that if we're talking about an MVP caliber player, what we saw for three straight series in the Eastern Conference run, I think you could have made an easy or at least a very strong argument that this is a guy who might be vying for a top five spot as mm -hmm. one of the better players in the league, if you had to put together a, a tier list or a ranking right. list of players going into next season, if he had completed the job based off the first three rounds we saw and then stamped it by taking down Golden State by hook or crook, right? Draymond not playing well, Steph Curry almost playing by himself for the first three games, right? Mm -hmm. By hook or crook, if Boston pulls it off, you took down KD and Kyrie, Giannis, and the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler, who is one of the better postseason performers, you know, this league has seen in the last, you know, decade or so. And then you stamp that by finishing off the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, who in this case was actually the best player in the series. But in order to get this done, I think Jason Tatum would have had to be, be that guy and he wasn't. So I think the narrative that he was building up to the finals is why everybody is not really cutting him right. in slack now is because it felt like all of this was meant to culminate into this final stamp of Jason Tatum taking that, that real leap to MVP caliber status. And you could argue, I guess NBA fans got blue balled in a sense. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. So then you move over to the second thing. I think the biggest thing when you look at, this Golden State run is their untraditional route of getting here. And it's kind of more so plays into your third point more so. The defense wins championships aspect, I think, is one of those things that you can actually, this is a copycat league, Brian. So mm -hmm. one of the one of the biggest things that I think you can take away from this finals, regardless of who won, is that defense is going to be indicative of who's going to be able to come out with the chips like that, right? And I don't even think this is something that we just saw in this series. The 2020 Lakers were a yeah. defensive-based yeah. team. When they switched in 2021 to a more offensive-driven yeah. team, what happened, right? The Phoenix Suns, I would argue their trip, to the, their trip to the finals. Milwaukee as well from last season. These were two teams that were top five from a mm -hmm. defensive standpoint, and it was something that I think really translated – and at the end of the day, more so in that Milwaukee series, and I actually, actually, you could really argue this in Golden State. If both defenses are going to be top five caliber, the question is, who is going to have the best player in the series? Yeah. This is where the superstars yeah. win championships aspect actually does come to play, right? They mm -hmm. say stars, stars win championships, but I think the Styles makes fight thing actually is a better shaper of this. It's just if those two teams are on the same level defensively, the tiebreaker is who's going to be the best offensive producer mm -hmm. in this series. And you could argue that Steph Curry, not only was the best offensive player in this series, he might even have an argument to be the best offensive player in the league right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the bigger things too. And then overall, I mean, 
my bigger take, my, one of the bigger things that you said in terms of this series is just the fact that these, and you said this more so throughout the series, these two teams had such different paths to get here that I think similar to how, if you remember Atlanta, when they made the run to the mm-hmm. Eastern Conference Finals and people kept kind of like with this assumption that like they'll be back or like yeah, yeah. they're just going to build off, right? I think there's all of this to be able to say that like the NBA really is an interesting place, bro, because neither team's route is something that is duplicable. Neither team's roster construction yeah, is right. going to be duplicable. Golden State has to answer some questions this offseason as it is because Andrew Wiggins is up for an extension. Jordan Poole is up for an extension. They're already deep in the luxury tax as it is. For the Celtics, I, I want to get, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. The Celtics, ironically, were missing the guys they've given up on in yeah. the past. They, they, the biggest thing they were missing in this series was a one on one self shot creator at the point guard slash shooting guard spot, mainly a point guard spot because Marcus Smart was mainly a chucker in this series. But in terms of being able to create his own shot, they were lacking that. And over the last three seasons, after the last couple of seasons, we've seen Kyrie, we've seen Kimball, we even saw Dennis Schroeder. Mm-hmm. And without those guys there, this was the one series where not having that kind of player shows up. So I think one of the most interesting things is that these pathways are not duplicable and both of these teams are not going to be able to get back here the same way they got here before. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about it because that copycat league stuff, (laughs) sample size is everything, bro. And 16 games is great with such high leverage Mm -hmm. stakes, but it's still not, it's still nothing to really build your team around. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one thing too is, the Celtics, you're right. They missed that guard creator, and Derek White was that for them to some extent. But he really struggled in this in this series again. And it's the first time you've been to the finals. The those lights are a lot brighter. It's a lot. The, the basket shrinks, right? The court gets smaller. Things become more difficult. And if you're not used to that style of play, it can really affect you know your game. The other thing is, you know, yeah. I feel like I've bragged too much about this uh, on the previous podcast, but Robert Williams is that dude. And if you look at their on off splits, Zach Lowe uh, brought it up on his podcast with Brian Winhurst last week mm. with Robert Williams on the court. They were a plus 27 without him. They were, or sorry, they were plus 17 without him. They were minus 27. And that is just indicative of, they need somebody to protect the rim. Al Horford isn't that guy. So if Robert Williams and, and I, I found out because I was like, man, he needs to just play 40 minutes. If Boston wants to win the series, just play Robert Williams 40 minutes. They're going to win every game. It just seems like they don't have an answer. Uh, Golden State for Robert Williams, mm. but he was on a time limits restriction because of his knee. Right. And so he could only play 30 minutes a game. And, you know, Ime was trying to find those best 30 minutes as he could. And I respect mm. him for that. Okay. And he's a young player, and yeah, it's great to win a championship, but you don't want to risk your whole career for one championship, especially when you haven't got that second contract yet. So mm-hmm. my whole point is they need a backup big. Boston needs a backup a trustable big. one. A trustable backup big, great yeah. Because Tice just wasn't the one. And I think the one point that I didn't really address was the Ime Adoka versus Steve Kerr point mm-hmm. that you had made in terms of your takeaway about Steve Kerr just flat out kind of out coaching him and in a sense – 
maybe not doing an X's and O's wise, but I think a great point you just made about the whole, when are the best points to be able to attack this lineup without Robert Williams mm-hmm. in it? Well, we saw, especially in those last two games, Draymond Green thrived most yeah. when Robert Williams came off the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you have to be able to identify. You're one of your best players, one player that you definitely need, specifically on the defensive end, but even as an offensive creator for other guys, this is a guy you need to be productive on the floor and you have to find the pockets in which he can do that. And Steve Kerr, it took a couple games. But over the course of the series, was able to identify what that was, what that mm-hmm. time frame was, and exploit that. And we saw some of the bigger runs, some of those big, you know, Boston Celtics double-digit leads closed in times when Robert Williams came off the floor and Draymond Green was back on, playing yep. the point forward mode. Andrew Wiggins was huge in this series. And I think one of your main points about Steve Kerr as a like developmental coach, I think is really important when you talk about this roster. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to my point that I said again about the whole duplicity of it, the, the copycat league of it. Gary Payton the second as one of the better perimeter defensive players in the league. You got one of those? You got one of those just sitting around? You got hey. one of those, one of those yeah. guys coming out of the G League? You just develop that mm-hmm. already has the tools as a as a high-level athlete, but then he's also able to be able to lock up on the defensive end. Andrew Wiggins, a guy who is going to get some really good consideration going into next season when we have conversations about who the best two-way wings yeah. in the NBA are, right? He Andrew Wiggins, right? The same guy we were clowning about getting the K-pop vote for yeah. the All-Star game yeah. is now a guy that we might be talking about as one of the better two-way players in the league. Exactly. So yeah. when you kind of look at all of that, the Nemanja Bielitsa 10 minutes a game thing we saw mm-hmm. later in the series, something you had touched on as something maybe Kerr should experiment with. These are the things that at the end of the day, even if you guys have, even if you as, t- as a team have guys that are translatable to maybe some of these skill sets, Curry was able to tap into these play styles in a way that was able to flourish in this series mm. in ways that I don't know is mm. actually duplicable. And I think yeah. that's another important thing when you talk about this copycat league stuff is you can have the personnel. Not many do, but you yeah. can, you, maybe you, maybe you do, but it still does not mean that you, that, that there is a pathway or a blueprint that you can follow. That's going to lead you to the promised land. You can just try your best to mimic it, but you know? Yeah, you're right. And there, there is no um, system to copy, right? There, you, you can have that, but you got to have it exactly. You got to, I mean, you might, you know what I'm (laughs) saying? Like it has to be perfect (laughs) because, you know, we've seen teams try to build, you know, the same way that the Spurs did and the same way that the, the um, Warriors did in the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, even throwing stars together hasn't worked, you know, look at at, at Brooklyn, you know, like, yeah, we'll just get three, three hall of famers and they're prime. See what happens. It doesn't work out. Right. I mean, it it doesn't work out. Uh, It, 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 this it's, that's why it's so impressive. I think what golden state's done the last decade and, and LeBron too, is because it's hard to get here. It's even mm-hmm. harder to win it. Right. Like, that's the thing. Definitely. You know, Definitely. And I think too many times we're, that's another thing with Tatum. I think too many times we're hard on these guys when they don't win ships, but just getting there does mean something. It does. Mm-hmm. It means something. And there are plenty of players who would give up a lot to make it to a finals and win, you know? Right. Definitely. This, this is true. All right. Anything else you want to say about the finals? I think we covered it. That was pretty good recap. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, overall, it was a great series. I think a lot of people were not as big fans of the series as maybe maybe basketball nerds like we were in terms of just the way that it went down. I think yeah. there's a lot more X's and O's to this series than a lot of the other series that we saw, especially when the precedent is set by how Boston mm-hmm. and Milwaukee was as a series. Yeah, That was one of those that really kind of set the bar yeah. high in terms of the rest of the postseason. So, I mean, of course, maybe it didn't match up to what that was, but I think at the end of the day, that was a really good series that a if anybody kind of for a second was worried about golden state after we had saw their significant fall and there were many people who were kind of on that train of oh man katie's gone he's leaving clay went down draymond green is not gonna be the same as he goes along steph curry can only do so much as a one-man show Mm -hmm. that's already a point guard that when he comes off the floor their team kind of takes a step back offensively Mm -hmm. all these other question marks is andrew wiggins supposed to be a trade chip well they didn't use him as a trade chip so is he a guy that actually is going to be a part of this rotation and if so what impact does he have well clearly a lot right yeah and all these other things so i just think that overall this was a really good series where we learned a lot about golden state and then for For Boston, I think the biggest thing is that you can't go any higher than this besides winning the dang thing. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, the thing that they can do, again, getting the backup big thing is I think is going to be really important in terms of retooling. And then on top of that, I think the biggest thing for them is they have to identify how they're going to create shots if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can't do it because this is a team that regressed back to – you dribble or yep. I dribble and somebody's getting a bucket regardless. Yep. And when it doesn't happen, I don't know what the offense is supposed to be doing. And we clearly saw that, that who's going to get a bucket when that, when the two main guys you think of went out the window, who's up next, that, that, that list shrunk significantly when it came to who you can trust, who you're going to put the ball in. And so I think both teams, we learned a lot about, for good or for bad. And I think that this offseason, because both of those teams actually have a lot of questions surrounding them, that makes the road to next season because the East is going to be nuts, clearly, because all mm-hmm. this Kyrie stuff on top of it. Yeah. And the West, we know, is going to be crazy. The Clippers, the Nuggets, getting healthy and everything else. These questions for these teams, along with the teams that are going to get healthy and the teams that could really upgrade going to next year, just makes next season even more you know, NBA fans can't turn the TV off. Yeah, you know? yeah. They can, no. Not safe, not safe at all. I think, you know, you, we'll move on, but I just want to say, because you brought up the Clippers, I it's kind of like uh, forgot about Dre with Kawhi. Like, you forgot about who Kawhi is. <laughs> you know what you, I mean? Yeah, like, just another guy that's, that you got to you know, worry about. And, you know, there's an argument when he's healthy, he's a top five guy. If not top two, top three, you know, like he – because. I mean, I'm a Kawhi man. I think he just his ability on both ends of the court is fantastic. But um, all right, let's move on to the draft. So the way um, I want to talk about this to you is I'm going to run through my top 10, not necessarily okay. not, not not a mock draft, just who I think the 10 best right, players right. are in the order they're mm-hmm. in. I'm probably going to, you know, I'm, there's players that you might have in your top 10 that I'm going to skip over because um, I definitely have somebody on a lot of big boards uh, a lot higher than they do and i'm curious specifically about him because i want to talk about him probably a lot okay curious to get your thoughts but um and then we can go back and you can talk about players that i missed or that you think um should probably fit in there but number 10 on my list is dyson daniels the guard from ignite he's australian he played in the g league um so watching his tape 
Um, one thing I was really impressed with is his, his two-way play. So we just talked about a finals where you got to be able to play both sides of the ball. And mm-hmm. as a point guard, he's, he's six, six, I guess he's listed as a guard. I think of him more as a point guard, but I watched his tape. He handled the ball a lot, not a great shooter. He does shoot decent from the line, only a 25% uh, three-point shooter, um, 54% true shooting, not, not terrible, not great. Um, mm-hmm. Not an elite passer, but to me, is just his ability to play defense and uh, not turn the ball over and, and facilitate uh, was impressive. I think if you get him later in the draft, you're and, you know later in the lottery, you're not looking at a player who's going to be, you know, uh, an all star. Maybe he's borderline, I think, but he can definitely fill in uh, to guard the best player, best guard on the other team, and do a serviceable job. Your thoughts. Mm. So Dyson Daniels is a guy that's been getting a lot of love in the last couple of weeks or so in terms of these mock drafts. He's a guy who's definitely been flying up. Certain people have him in the top five. A lot of people have him respectfully Mm -hmm. in the top 10. He's floating around that seven area with the trailblazers and uh, seven, eight area with the trailblazers in new Orleans. Um, the Trailblazers, I think, would be an interesting fit in terms of the team because he would instantly be one of the better defensive players on their yeah. team off rip if he does get picked up. That's if the Trailblazers even make the pick, bro. They already acquired Jeremy Grant as right. domino number one today. So as of we're, as of us recording this, so I mean, who knows? This is a team that's also going after OG Ananobi. So Dyson Daniels is in a really interesting spot because maybe somebody, especially if the Trailblazers decide to trade this, maybe somebody is interested in trying to move up to make a significant move for him. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands because he's a guy that for the G League Ignite, and we have to apply this to all the G League Ignite guys, Mm -hmm. they started out really slow, but you have to understand they're kids in a pro league. Yeah, We saw for a lot of them, Jaden Hardy as well, Marshawn Bochamp, these guys, they really improved as the season went along. And Dyson Daniels is one of those guys who he's toolsy. He's a guy who I think you can plug next to a, a high volume point guard and he can be a primary defender against one of the be- one of the better guards on the opposing side while still being able to mainly play a facilitator role offensively. I think that he is a guy that I think is plug and play. And the three-point shot is going to be his swing skill. I think that's a great point in terms of you talking about the 25%. But I think he's a guy who shows promise in that area. But that is, I think that's going to be his most defined skill because as a guy who we know, it based off the tape, isn't going to be a high-volume scorer yeah. the way like Jaden Hardy, for example, from G League Ignite is coming in as. He's not a high-volume guy. So his efficiency numbers are going to be the thing that really carries him and keeps him around in this league. So that's going to be important. Yeah, uh, I think you summed it up. I, I think, like you mentioned, his um, his ability to score. I think that's the one area that like kind of scares me is he just doesn't shoot the ball real well. And uh, if he could develop a jumper, I think that could you know obviously change the way uh, he's viewed. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think I, I don't, I'm pretty comfortable. That's why I have him 10. Like, I've seen him as high as, like you said, it's five in some mock drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm comfortable with him at 10. Number nine on my list, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, Usman Diang. Am I saying that right? Usman Jang. Jang? Yeah, okay, Jang. yeah. So um, this says he played for New Zealand. And when I watched some of his clips, one thing I was really impressed with him, and, what, and I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on him because I feel like in another draft or if he played in college and mm. we, he, we are exposed to him more, 
he would be considered a top three pick because, but I, I didn't want to like get too crazy about him, but I, he was one of the players that I was most blown away with. Like he, he's not a great shooter from what I saw. And mm. if you read some of his scouting reports, you know, he is not a great three point shooter could definitely become one, but he's six ten and he handles the rock like mm. a point guard. He obviously is very raw and he's he's not big you know we're gonna again we're gonna talk i think about chet holmgren's size but chet's like 7'1 uh 195 right that's mm-hmm. uh, yang is 6'10 200 so yeah he's got a, a little bit of you know he's two inches shorter five pounds heavier but he's still slight and i think that could be a you know, he needs to bulk up and get stronger. I think it'd be part of it too, but just mm. being six ten and being able to handle the ball that way. If you can just manage to get any kind of shot off um, and play some defense in it, by all accounts, he is a good defender. Um, I didn't see a lot of defensive highlights from him, but mm. reading his scouting report is he's a very good on the ball defender. He needs some help. And when, in terms of switching and, and off the ball stuff, but on the ball, he's very good. Kind of just like remind me a little bit, and I don't mean this because he's from New Zealand and Simmons is from Australia, but Ben Simmons ish, like with his mm. size, his length and his, his defensive ability and way to handle, handle, handle the ball. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, first of all, you're not crazy for seeing this guy as like a, a top five player in maybe a different draft class, because the truth is Brian, he was a guy that came in with a lot of hype in this draft class as it was. The only thing was he was a guy with a lot of hype earlier on in this draft cycle. And then the first couple of games with New Zealand happened and it was like, eek. so we kind of uh-huh. had to drop the mic on him because uh-huh. he started really, really slow and struggled a lot understandably so he was going from a different league he was playing as part of this australian league he was there by himself throughout all of this so he was developing within this circumstance with no family no Mm. real friends and it was a language barrier adjustment there was a lot of other things to take into consideration for him and he like you said this is in comparison to like a guy who lamello like lamello ball right who has a really good feel for a game for the game i think ujman jang has a really good feel for it but in a much more raw form of it you know what i mean mm-hmm. lamello was a guy who if anything he can get hot almost through creating energy off yeah. his passing ability right. right as a as opposed to ujman he's a guy who's a really good self shot creator he's a guy who like when i peg him in this in this draft class he's somebody that i think would be really dope for cleveland who like desperately needs another self shot creator outside of Darius Garland, right? Because if it yeah. wasn't Darius in offense, yeah. it was like, who, who's getting a bucket yeah. here? It was rough. A dump down, right? It was rough. Yeah. So Uzman Jang is a guy with his length, with his size, with his ability to create off the bounce. He's a guy that I think could be really interesting for a team that needs another shot creator. And then when you talk about his defensive capabilities, they're there, I think. But the the idea now is that Uzman Jang is a is a potential big time defender in theory because the size translates the question is going to be his ability to again like you mentioned beforehand adapt to switching the defenses and things like that that's why cleveland is kind of interesting because they play such a Mm. big lineup that he's gonna have a back line that can really protect him when he's learning and understanding these defensive reads so Granted, maybe he doesn't go to Cleveland. Maybe somebody else takes a good swing on him. But that all goes to say that this is a guy who has a lot of upside if he can kind of bring it all together. The offensive shot creation is there. The defensive capability, in theory, is there. The idea, I think, now is going to come down to him being a part of a program, being a part of a system where he can kind of put those two things together 
and kind of maximize it as a player because the guy that he gets a lot of comp to is Paul George. If you mm-hmm. get Paul George and Ujman mm-hmm. Jang as as any of these teams in the top 14, man, you 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 mm-hmm. are working with something in terms of guys that you can really develop. And I think there's a couple of teams that could really use a shot creator. I mean, of, of course, all these teams would love to have a yeah. shot creator like that. But I think in terms of being able to maximize that ability, there's a handful of teams that I think could really bring out the best of him in the, uh, in a situation like that. Indiana, I think, is an interesting one. Um, like I mentioned beforehand, uh, Cleveland. OKC has the 12th pick as well if he actually somehow falls that far. Um, obviously, Cleveland's at 14, so there's a chance. But, I mean, there's all types. Shot creation is huge in this league. It's a huge skill. Mm-hmm. Wings are not, you know, a dime a dozen. Yeah. You just rotate yeah. them out the way the center position has. So, Usman, Usman – He's one of the interesting guys. There's about three or four, maybe five guys that are like potential gems of the draft outside of the well-known top mm-hmm. three, top four. Usman Jang to me is one of those guys. Yeah, I like the idea of him in Cleveland just because, you know, I, I'm, I silently root for Cleveland um, being from Ohio, but I would love to see him go because I think that he would be, he'd fit in well, like you said, with that offense from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um all right, my number eight is I think probably going to be the most controversial because the highest I've seen him on any list is is like 14, just on the mm. edge. And in most mock drafts, he's going in the 20s. And I personally don't understand it. I'm doing a lot of prefacing here, sorry. But watching, okay. watching, okay. <laughs> watching these finals and seeing how impactful Robert Williams uh, was, mm. I think that he – if I was drafting a team and I'm looking at the top of this – this board i probably would have him higher uh but just because i don't want to seem crazy and i'm want to talk to you about this obviously that's what we're doing we're talking <laughs> this through oops we're talking this right. through um i i put him at eight because i felt comfortable with that but i want i have an urge to put him higher and if his offensive skill set was better i probably would and that's mark williams mm. um am i did i surprise you are you shocked by by this so so him at eight from a big board standpoint it it is shocking, but it isn't shocking because I understand what you're saying in terms of him being a rim running big who can also create, you know, around the basket for himself in terms of on the defensive end, right? This is a guy that if you put him around the basket, he can be on a solo island defensively. This is maybe not Rudy Gobert-esque, but he's a guy who I feel like you can feel safe leaving in the paint. That's what I mean when I say create for himself from a defensive perspective, Mm -hmm. is he is a guy who creates his own gravity as a shot blocker defensively. And that's something that is a big-time skill. It's one of the reasons why the Utah Jazz somehow were a top-five defense, despite everybody on the perimeter not being a good defense. Being garbage, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's one of those things that I think is a really important skill set. Here's the thing, though. The reason why he can't The reason why a lot of people aren't putting him that high is because at the center position, especially in comparison to a lot of the power forward guys that we see in the top three, Chet, Paolo, Jabari, right, Mm -hmm. is Mark Williams offensively does not have the kind of upside as a offensive guy outside of being a dude who tops out as Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. offensively with maybe potentially a bit, little bit more defensive upside, because I think he's got a lot more strength to him. I think he's a guy who's a little bit more intimidating around the rim. Can I ask you, can I stop you there real quick? Cause yeah, I, of course. I, I, I have a question about this. Okay. So yeah, looking at his stats, he attempted one, three, he missed it. I don't know what that three was. Cause I just looked at the stats. <laughs> so my guess is it was like a last minute, like shot clock situation where he just had mm-hmm. to check it. He only shot nine jump shots. He was five for nine on jump shots. That's obviously, I mean, nine jump shots is 
crazy for the entire season, but he's a 75% free throw shooter. So like, to me, that shows that he's at least got the touch. You're looking at me like, Brian, you're smoking crack, but I mean, I feel a little bit, but I want to hear you out. I just, I feel like any, I mean, you're that you have that good of a touch and now granted Robert Williams. Then this is kind of where the Robert Williams things is kind of maybe getting in my head a little bit. Robert Williams Mm -hmm. is lights out from the free throw. Right, he he is a great free. He shoots seventy five percent from the free throw line, mm-hmm. but he does not shoot jumpers, and he very rarely right. looks comfortable if he has to. That's just right. not part of his his game. So, but I just I'm wondering, do we is there a team that he could go to where it could develop into a DeAndre Ayton style pick and pop where he can hit that sixteen foot jumper with consistency to make an impact on a, a team like Phoenix. You know, I'm not saying him, him going mm-hmm. to Phoenix, but that right. type being DeAndre Ayton slash Robert Williams. So I think in terms of that skill set, he's going to have to show us the translatability right. of that because that's something that he hasn't shown. The yeah. Robert Williams comp I think is great, but I think the mis- the misconception about that is that mm-hmm. that's overreading Mark Williams' athletic ability. Sure, sure, yeah. Robert right. Williams – yeah to me, is if Mark Williams from this draft class and Jalen Duran from this draft class fused into one player. Yeah, yeah. If these two you. guys, right, the defensive instincts of a guy like, like Mark Williams, mm-hmm. while also the offensive capability as an above-the-rim guy like Jalen Duran is, that is what Robert Williams in one player is. It's just Robert Williams also hasn't been able to do that at a high clip because He's always kind of like on a minutes restriction, it yeah. seems like, right? Yeah. But in theory, Mark Williams is about half the attribute that Robert Williams is. And with that being mm-hmm. the case, that's kind of what bumps him down is because that lack of vertical pop, that athletic pop, the way like a Jalen Duran does, mm-hmm. that's what kind of tilts things. And that's why, in a sense, even in this draft class, a lot of people have Jalen Duran over Mark Williams because Jalen Duran has the athletic ability to – the point that if he can catch up with de- like defensively from an instinct standpoint and stuff like that, he's Mark Williams with the athletic translation, right? And then yeah. that's more of a Robert Williams guy, right? So Jalen Duran, if anything, is the guy that has the better pathway sure. to becoming a Robert Williams type guy than Mark Williams is, only because I think that that athletic that athletic pop is going to be the difference maker in terms of being that kind of dude. Now, the pick and pop thing, again, like I said, Mark is going to have to show us that. Because in college, like you mentioned, that's not something he showed us the game for. The touch is one thing, but is that his touch around the basket? Is that more Mm -hmm. of a feel around the basket kind of thing? Or is he just, is he guy similar to Robert Williams? Is he just a guy who, he got got it. When you need it, he got it. Is it that type of thing? But you're not crazy though. I mean, San Antonio at nine, they look interesting, you know. The Knicks that would be at, a, yeah, that would be an Knicks interesting 11, place for him to go. I, I would much know, ra- I, I would much rather him go to San Antonio because I feel like they would develop him and they would give him, you know, the way that pop coaches and develops talent. That would be the best place for him to go, right? I mean, I, honestly. I think I think Charlotte's probably the best one if I had to pick fit wise mm. where he would go. They need a center de- desperately. We don't know if the Miles Turner thing is going to yeah. see its way all the way through, and an above the rim center that can also help them defensively in ways that they haven't had. Yeah, at all. Yeah, they've been looking <laughs> you know? for that player for a while. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. So that I think he instantly is a dude that like fills needs for them in a way that like covers all bases in one draft pick. And ironically, Charlotte has two. 
within three picks of each other. You know what I mean? I just really so, want to see him go to a place where, I mean, cause I've kind of fell in love with, with him in terms of like his effort and his ability. I just want to see him go somewhere where he can like get that coaching, where he can get coached up, where he could be the, the highest potential, um, you know, possible is I guess mm. would be my point. And, you know, I, I also wonder too, like with a player like him, is, is it confidence-based? Is, you know, for his entire life, he's been told to play with your back to the basket or play around the rim, and mm. he's got he's got a touch. Uh, you know, if this was if this was 1995, he probably would be a top three pick, right? If he, right. You know, mm-hmm. the, but we're not. We're, we're in 2022, right? So, um, mm. all right. So, number oh, – I'll move on. So, number seven on my list, and I think so. this is about right, and I, the only thing that I think puts him – this low on my list because I like him as a player is kind of his age. Uh, you know, by the time the season starts, he'll be 22 and that's Keegan Murray. Um, mm, okay. I, I think that he, he reminds me a little bit of a, um, he reminds me a little bit of a taller Dwayne Wade in that, uh, mm. he, you know, he kind of was a late bloomer, right? Like he didn't, you know, that's what they said. You know, I've read, he's a late bloomer, he's a late bloomer, but like he didn't, he led this, like this team, this Iowa team to where they were competing. And it seemed like he was the best player on the court almost all the time. Part of that is I think because of his age, you know, he was a 21 year old sophomore um, Mm. and he just showed a a level of maturity with his basketball. But I also was like really impressed with his feel for the game Mm. and he, and he, and he does not give up on a play. That's the other thing he is. He's the type of player that I think looking at him, he's going to do all the things that you need him to do. He's going to cut. He's going to uh, rebound. He's going to do whatever you ask him to do. But mm-hmm. I just – I wonder how much better he's actually going to get. What is his ceiling? Um, mm-hmm. And he's not a great shooter. He's a decent scorer, but he's not a great shooter. I don't know. Your thoughts on Keegan Murray? Well, I mean, he's one of the better offensive players in this draft in terms of the ability to create for himself. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the other things, too, is you are right. I mean, I don't know exactly what the late bloomer context is, but he was playing behind Luca Garza a lot his freshman season. And he was kind of not forced to take a back seat, but like Luca Garza was that guy. You know how Drew Timmy was like that guy for Gonzaga? Luca Garza was that guy for mm-hmm. Iowa. And I think the same thing kind of came in where it was like, okay, now that it's Keegan's turn, he kind of got to come in and show the bag. He got to show the full package, right? And I think that he showed us a lot of stuff, but I think his defensive instincts are really good, something that can be built upon. He's a guy who I think can play like the 3-4 as a stretch big guy type of guy. I think the three-point shot is going to translate. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't a dude shooting the lights out like a like a Jabari Smith or like a mm-hmm. – uh, or like a AJ Griffin, for example, who are like two of the better shooters in this draft class. But he's a guy who definitely, if you need a bucket, I think he can be a high volume scorer for you. And I think for he's sure. going to be an interesting fit regardless of what team he ends up on. A lot of people view him as that fifth guy mm-hmm. in the draft. Once we get past that top four, who's the next up? A lot of people view Keegan as that dude. And as a offensive shot generator at the wing spot, it's kind of hard to argue with that because at the end of the day, like I mentioned before, I mean, wings are winning championships, right? I know that the whole Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown thing fell through the cracks this season, Mm -hmm. but Andrew Wiggins was the second best player in this series, arguably. Yeah. 
right? And I understand that Keegan Murray maybe not be may not be Andrew Wiggins defensively, but he has the ability to create offensively for himself in a way that makes up for the fact that he might not be as talented as Andrew on the defensive end. And Keegan's no slouch defensively either. Yeah, he puts so effort. I think in that's too. important. Yeah, I think that's extremely important to touch on. It's like wings still win you. The big one at the end of the day, I think that is one of those things that definitely has translated over the last couple of seasons, big wings, extreme size, versatile lineups. They still are the things that are starting to drive this new version of the NBA. I think Keegan's age, he fought Keegan's age, despite being like top, like top five in terms of people's big, big board. He is what you would consider a safe pick. He's like yeah. the Chris Duarte for Indiana right. last year, where he's a guy that was an older guy. Production at Oregon was tippity top. His game is definitely going to translate at the next level. Question just is like, if you're that high in the draft, like for example, Tankathon has Indiana taking Kirk, uh, Keegan Murray at six, right? If you're that high at the in the draft, is that the kind of guy you take the swing for when you have this kind of opportunity to maybe snag a guy with right. high upside potential? Like you mentioned, the question is, have we seen the best of Keegan Murray? And is it just the game we saw is the game that's going to translate or is there another gear that we are going to see? And if there's not, there's still a really solid player in there. There's a Harrison Barnes, Tobias yeah. Harris-esque player in there, but despite the fact that those guys get paid we've seen that despite the fact that yeah. those guys get paid the big bucks is that a guy that moving forward you can be able to say is going to be a part of a roster that you're hoping will be a playoff caliber championship caliber roster if you're building building a core i mean that yeah. is a great question yeah and i agree i think that is and i think that is the question with him I, the age thing like it's just strange i think in today's nba to see a player 20 you know he's, he's 21 when he gets drafted he'll be 22 when he hits the court get drafted that high there you just don't we just don't see that anymore right mm -hmm. you you, right. you just don't see a player that's you know by the time you know you look at players by the time you know jason tatum was 22 he played in two eastern conference finals right right like, you know so that's <laughs> that's the kind of the thing that you're you're worried about is like you you've got eight years to get to your max potential, right? And by the time they're 30, their career is already pretty much set in stone of what they are. So, um, right. you know, but who knows? That was my same worry about Joe Burrow. I, he was too old, but we'll see. I mean, <laughs> I was wrong about that. Um, that's a whole other sport, but, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about football. Uh, this one might surprise you, and I'm curious to see your take. You watched okay. a lot of college basketball. Let's just preface this to you watch a lot more college basketball than I do. I didn't uh, watch a ton of Jaden Ivey. And when I saw him in the tournament, I was mm. like, this dude is a top four player. Um, and again, I might be jaded by some of this too. And um, because, and once I get to my top five, you're going to be like, bro, what? Oh, <laughs> because I have another player in the top five at number five, who you're going to be, you may disagree with me, but I've kind of fell in love with him as a player, but okay. anyways, I, I've felt, I've just fallen out on, on Jaden Ivy. Well, it, at times like I'm watching some of his, his highlights and highlights are highlights. That's why it's kind of hard because his highlights right. are fantastic, right? He's got handles. He's got athleticism. He's got a jumper. Like he has got everything that you want from a six, four point guard. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
I was just so turned off by his lack of energy in the tournament. Maybe he was hurt. Maybe you could fill me in a little bit, but it just mm. didn't seem like he was much of a leader. He was not very good on defense from like some of the clips I saw in some of the like uh, scouting report clips. And it seemed like he was just accustomed to like, if I'm having a bad night, I'm having a bad night. I'm not going to find a way to contribute outside of my skill set, you know, and that mm. scares me uh, in terms of a top five player. So that's why he's just out of my top five. If you can get him, I think at six or seven, you might have stolen the draft. But mm. I think if you, you know, if you're looking at a top four or five player, you need someone who's going to change the dynamic of your uh of your team, right? You need the franchise turner. That's what you're looking for in a top five lottery pick. And I just mm. don't see that in him. Um, what I saw is somebody who Kind of shades of the uh, of D'Angelo Russell, not necessarily in the skill set, but just in the like the mindset of like who he ends up being. Like, hmm. I don't know. That's just my take on Jaden Ivey. Your thoughts? No, I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, in terms of the uh, effectiveness or the commitment aspect, that's something that I kind of would have to go back and kind of look at the way things played out. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the postseason for them, because Purdue was all right, but they were a team that, you know, they were competing in a really tough Big Ten this year. First off, that, that was easily one of the toughest conferences, if not the toughest conference in college basketball this past season. But I think one of the bigger things, too, is like Jaden. Jaden is a really solid player with a lot of athletic upside. And that's a guy who I mm. think when the motor is up, he is a guy who can be really solid on both sides of the floor, has a plus wingspan. So that's something that I think with his athleticism yeah. and speed is something that could really help as an off guard. He plays well without the ball, which is something that's really good. The, the funny thing is you compared him to D'Angelo Russell. I'm actually going to make a little bit of a flip, still keep the D there, but De'Aaron Fox is another mm. guy that I think is very relatable in this. And it's funny because okay. of course he keeps getting mocked to Sacramento at four, but yeah. the reason why I say De'Aaron Fox is because one of the biggest things that I noticed from Jaden's tape is that he's a guy who either has a, he's a, he's a bike with only two speeds. He's a guy who either plays very fast when he plays mm. fast. He is one of the fastest guys on the court in any given, yeah. in any given game. But when he plays slow, he plays very slow. It gets very, very methodical, yeah. very, very starts to take a little bit longer when it comes to the decision making. When he plays high tempo, it's very uh, bull in a china shop esque, right? He's got the athleticism to play through contact, he's got the athleticism to weave through traffic, finish around the rim. But it is, like I said, deer in headlights, bull in china shop. And this idea that once he puts his head down to go and he's committed, he's there. And the same thing goes for when he plays a little bit slower in the half court. When he plays slow, it's almost like you can see the world, the, the, the wheels turning. You can see mm -hmm. him kind of trying to process it all offensively on that side as well. So I think that's one of the more interesting things when you talk about where he translates. And I think out of anybody in the top four, his situation, where he lands up, especially, of course, Sacramento being the wild card of all of this, where he lands really is going to determine a lot of the trajectory of the early portion of his career, because I don't think Sacramento is the fit for him. The, mm. the place that he's been, uh, apparently a lot of people have a lot of love for him. The three places I've heard the most is Indiana, obviously Detroit right behind them, putting him next to Kate Cunning Cunningham, probably the best pairing I could think of in terms of his yeah. translation to the next level. And then the other team is Oklahoma city. Who's trying to use the 12th pick 
to try to move up and maybe snag either him or Shaden Sharp. So those are three teams that I think would be interesting in terms of maximizing Jaden and his superstar potential as a guy with the ball in his hands, mainly Detroit and Indiana. But he's a dude who I think is really interesting because if you take that commitment level issue out, right, if that's something you see on tape is he's a guy who you kind of worry about like when he's locked in, if he's locked in, right? Yeah. But I think the thing with him is his play style is volatile because he's either hot or he's cold, so to speak. He's yeah. Really fast or he's really slow. Right. And that's one of those things that at the next level, learning how to play with pace yeah. goes a long way. Jalen Green had to learn this early mm-hmm. in the season with the Rockets. Just being a being a go guy to the rim, being a go right. guy jack shots, you learn that that efficiency, that doesn't translate as being just a bucket. Being a bucket in the NBA is different from being a bucket in the G League night, being a bucket at the AAU level. There's a different way to it. There's levels to being able to play at the speed, and once yeah. you adapt to that game speed, things change. And I kind of hope for his sake that he doesn't go to Sacramento because I, I want to be proven wrong. I, I hope because, like, it, like honestly, at the beginning of the tournament, I was kind of, like, rooting a little bit for Purdue and, and him, and then, like, maybe that's part of it, too, is, like, I was just kind of – bummed out that he had such a crappy showing mm. um all right so here we go my number five player um and this might be the most controversial uh, i think mm. on my list if mark williams wasn't already controversial but <laughs> again i don't in today I, i'm looking at this as like from today's nba standpoint and you just talked a lot about jay Ivy and what he brings mm. but to me aj griffin is the best scorer, the best shooter, and has the ability to be elite on one end of the court, the offensive end. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, his handle is questionable. He's got a lot of Jalen Brown in his handle, right? <laughs> um, but uh, he he's not like, I don't know, uh, it's not like he's at the bottom tier. Like, it's not like he, he can't dribble the ball. Mm. Um, and I think he has potential on the defensive end. I think he's yeah. got a long, he's got a good, you mentioned wingspan. He measures it over seven foot wingspan and he's only six, six. He's got long arms. And if he can stay healthy, I know that's been a knock on him. It's he's had a lot of injuries in high school and in college. Right. So that's a kind of a risk. That's probably why he's fallen out of the top five, I think. But I just think on turn in terms of potential, I think he has the potential to be an all-star, if not a uh, a, a second or third team All-NBA type player, if he can put this all together and stay healthy. Your thoughts? Well, well, I mean, I think you make a really great point because, I mean, when you talk about, like, th- there's a lot of, like, Chris Middleton-esque stuff that could really top out here in terms of this guy mm-hmm. on both ends of the floor. I like because that. when you look at his circumstances, and I mean, this is a really great point that you made about the injury thing, but also let's just talk about the Duke circumstances, right? Yeah. You play next to Wendell Moore on the wing who dominated, who definitely had the ball in his hands a lot. Yeah. You talk about the fact that Trevor Keels, another guy who could go either late first round, early second round out of Duke, had the ball in his hands a lot. Paulo Bancaro, easily one of their better offensive guys. AJ turned into a catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter, and he was a guy who started the season off kind of rough and then really picked it up as they got closer to the tournament, and that was when he kind of started picking up steam where you could have argued that on any given night, AJ Griffin was Duke's best player. 
right? Now, I don't think you would lean into that. The scouting report is still Paulo number one, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the day, A.J. Griffin also is one of the, I would argue he's the second best shooter in this draft class, probably behind Jabari Smith. So with that being the case, there's a lot to like. There's a lot, if you go back to his high, high school tape as a guy that could create with the ball in his hands and things like that, that we just didn't get to see in mm-hmm. Duke because that wasn't his role. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that's another important thing to talk about. So I think as the, although big boards and mock drafts might look at you for being a little crazy for having them above Jay Nivey, I think the translation of the what ifs for, for a guy like AJ, if they land, could be a really good player. I think a lot of Jaden Ivey comparisons to John Morant are a little overblown. I think the high-flying acrobatic finishes is kind of the thing that, and yeah. probably the hairstyles are probably like carrying yeah, the right. Jaden Ivey, John Morant comparisons. But I think even though, yeah, I, okay, sure. I said Chris Middleton as the comparison, but that's a long-term yeah. NBA starter turn all-star player that you definitely trust in a championship run on a playoff team. I'm not going to go as far as Kendrick Perkins said in terms of him being Batman from Milwaukee, right. but he's a guy who you can give the ball to and hear, no, he, you know, he's going to make good decisions with the ball and be efficient doing it. Remember Chris Middleton, 50, 40, 90 guy. Yeah. Right. And I think AJ Griffin has the, the ability if everything clicks, right. The injury thing is a big, what if, but everything clicks. I think that is something that could be, that, that could be in his future. And if that's the case, Putting him in top, top six, not that wild. Not that wild if that's who he can become. Yeah, and, you know, I watched him. You mentioned, you know, when Paolo was struggling, he led that team in scoring. He kept Duke in games uh, mm-hmm. when they struggled. I mean, he – I just think he is, like, an ice-cold offensive player. Like, he is mm-hmm. – you know, we saw, uh, you know, how Steph extended the defense – not saying he's going to be Steph, but like that <laughs> right. type of player, you know, if he can extend the defense, that is so important. You know, uh, I just think his defense needs to be uh, uh, not that. And I don't even know that he wasn't in a good def- defender or not. Like I'm trying, I watched some of his defensive tapes and it looked like he, uh, he was, he relied on his size and athleticism mm. a little too much rather than his, his head. And in the NBA, everyone's as big as you everyone's as athletic as you for the most part you know and when you're having right. to guard you know Jalen Brown or you know uh Clay and all these other players like you you gotta be you gotta use your head right um yeah. so I don't know where he is in terms of his mental game but I think he definitely has potential for sure um mm-hmm. and I would put him I, I would put him higher um if I knew he was going to be healthy and um you know depending on the situation, but I, yeah. I really, he's probably my favorite player in the draft. Um, like who I, I'm looking forward to watching him play in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, he was projected top five coming into the class anyway. Again, another reason why yeah. you're not too crazy. He's a guy who I think his role at Duke shaped a lot of what his perception is. And there's a lot of other things that have to be theoretical about him, especially when you try to move past the injury factor. Mm-hmm. When you take that out, when you look at the high school tape, when you look at what he was able to do when given real opportunity with the ball in his hands at Duke, what did you see? And I think those mm-hmm. are things that give him high upside. That's something that I think that in a right in the right situation where he's not relegated to just being a three and D guy with the way Duke kind of put him in that pocket because of all the other ball handlers they already had. 
we might be able to see something in AJ Griffin that we weren't able to see to see at right. Duke. It wouldn't be the first time right. that a player had a yeah. reduced role in college and we saw him burst into something else. I'm a Bulls fan. We saw Patrick Williams really turn right. things around in comparison to just being a theory of a top level wing guy out coming out of Florida state. He was a guy who in year one showed really, really good strides. And in the early portion of the season, before he went down with the injury, he was a guy who really looked like that offensive yeah. bag was coming along and Lord knows maybe AJ Griffin's in a similar spot. Scotty Barnes, same thing. Yeah. Florida state comes back, gets, gets compared as the Draymond green style yeah. player. And then as a part of Toronto system really kind of opens up his offensive game while being a high energy defensive guy already. So who knows if AJ is just another one of those guys who just got to show you a smidget in college. That means we got a lot yeah. to look forward to Devin Booker too. Devin Booker's another one. Great, yeah. great example. See a lot of Kentucky guys, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Kentucky guys, right. <laughs> right. Um, so, and this might, I, I may have him higher than you two. This next one. Uh, okay. I have, I have him as on number four on my big board and he was a player. Like I didn't really know a lot about, I didn't really catch him too much. Uh, in the college, but like when I started reading scouting reports, I started reading big boards and I started looking at him as a player. I kind of mm-hmm. fell in love with him too. And that's uh Benedict Mathurin. Is that how you say his last name? Benedict Mathurin. Yeah. You good. Uh, what is it? Mathurin. Mathurin. Yeah. Mathurin. Okay. But like this dude shot is he's an electric player. Like mm-hmm. um, he's athletic too. I mean, a lot of all these guys are obviously athletic, but he's got next level athleticism and he's a knockdown shooter. And he shoots well mm. off the dribble. Like that was the other thing is he's not just a catch and shoot college jump shooter. He shot well off the dribble. And I was really impressed with his ability to make hard passes look easy. You know, mm. like he, it seems like he turns the ball over a lot and that's probably part of this, but he is very quick at making decision. Not always the right decision, but he will not hesitate. Mm. If he sees an opening, he looks like he's going to throw that pass in there. Um, Right. He, but that same risk taking seems to follow him on the defensive end too, because he's kind of like a ball hawk, where he'll go for a lot of steals and he he leaves mm. his team in bad positions and he's over aggressive. So that's kind of worrisome. But I just feel like he has a lot of potential if he gets in the right situation again. It's all about situation, and I think that's true outside of the top three players. Um, right, where they go. Um, I, again, I don't want him to go to Sacramento, but I think I think uh, Matherin is I say his last name Matherin, right? Mm-hmm. If he can get the turnovers under control, he can play a little bit more within himself, dude. I think he could be an elite point guard in this league. That's my take. So with Benedict Matherin, that's the guy that I actually thought that when you bring up the commitment issues, that was the yeah. guy actually to me that I was a little bit more worried about in terms of where he projects based off that he's the dude that I think when he is logged in dangerous, big Mm -hmm. shot taker, big shot maker, big time, three point shooter, a dude who has athleticism to be an above the rim guy, a dude who has the kind of athletic talents to be a legitimate defensive player on the wing that can maybe guard one twos and with his aggressiveness, maybe threes on ball as well. And I think if you throw on top of that, the bigger thing with him that I think is really important is that I think he's a guy who can kind of cut his teeth as a defensive player early on and be more of a three and D guy mm. early on. And 
I think one of the better things for Ben in this draft class is that he's one of those guys that comes in pro ready realistically because he's coming from a pro style system. Yeah. Arizona really prepped him in a way that I think that the, the spacing for Arizona wasn't what the NBA level was, but the pro sets for mm-hmm. Arizona was a lot of stuff that he's going to see at the next level, which I think is really huge for him in terms of just being able to translate his game yeah. in the small ways, understanding how to get buckets off of catch and shoot opportunities off of backdoor cuts, things like that to be able to impact the game, just using his athleticism, right? I'm stronger and faster than you. That's how I'm going to get my baskets. And if I hit a three in your eye every now and then to make yeah. you honest, that's going to make, that's going to make things even right. more interesting for us whatever team he plays on as an offense right so i think the big thing with benedict matherin is this if he stays committed if he stays locked in that is a guy who i think has top five talent the question is going to be who's going to tap into that Mm. who is going to and specifically who is going to tap into that defensive side of the ball this is why i worry about him maybe landing on a team like the trailblazers for example who have been a pretty horrible defensive team already Mm. they need a guy who i think the way he's going to cut his teeth is defense because that's the thing he excels at the most i think ben is a guy who i think he needs to cut his teeth defensively because he needs to learn the ropes as a efficient offensive creator he needs to be a guy who sees the touches offensively when they come to him, not a guy who's right. given those offensive touches out the gate, right? And I think for a team like Portland, who's all offense all the time, he's going to get a chance to launch launch the ball yeah. more than enough times because they're an offensive go-time team. But I think he needs to go to a team where he can be a fourth, fifth offensive option where his way of being able to create minutes like for that, himself yeah. is taking that defensive that defensive translatability through the through the athleticism he has through the instincts that he has and being able to show out and cut minutes for himself that way and as a fourth option scorer that's maybe it doesn't unlock what he truly is but that's a player that's going to be able to contribute in a way that you need him to as opposed to being this you know Kobe-esque truck chucker, right? I'm going to yeah. get my 20 and I promise you I'm not scared to shoot him kind of player that we know Ben can be. You know, going to play with Portland, Chauncey Billups should teach him something about defense, you would think, right? <laughs> I mean, you would think. I mean, that might not be a bad place. Like you, you mentioned their offense, but, you know, Chauncey really didn't get a coach a lot last year. He was, that, yeah, team, good was, point. that team was very bad, you know? Um, and so they, you know, they suffered a lot of injuries um, and they got rid of McCollum. And I think this actually might not be a bad player to put in there because he does have, you know, a good shot. He would probably thrive playing beside a veteran like Dame if, if Dame yeah. ends up staying there. I just, and- yeah, I just worry. I just worry that because they're offense all the time that that he is going to fall into that yeah. shot happy side of things and again we're talking about a guy who the worry is his engagement yeah so the way to get his engagement up is we're going to get these shots up i don't think that fully unlocks the full version of what benedict mathery can be which i think is a legitimate two-way player but i think for a team that is all offense all the time like portland Mm -hmm. you're leaving the 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 half of ben that could maybe turn him into a real all-star caliber guard you're Mm -hmm. you're you're almost leaving that 
in mm. the water. And I think yeah. a team that's willing to tap more into what can you do for us with your defensive tools out the gate, as opposed to a team like Portland yeah. that's going to say, what can you bring to us offensively in order to stay on the court? Right. Anthony Simons, for example, another yeah. unders, undersized yeah. guard, just like Dame, just like CJ, but he gets buckets. Mm-hmm. So he, so we got to get him on the floor. Yeah. Right? right. I think for a guy like Ben tapping into his defensive aspect, I think that's one of those interesting things where like, New Orleans or San Antonio. I think one of those teams where the defense and he can be a a third, fourth, more, more close to like a fourth, fifth option offensively as a close, as opposed to like a third, fourth option offensively. I think that's when we'll be able to see those other real tools come out. I think whatever team gets Benedict Matherin has to see what is this, what is this guy's defensive chops first? Because yeah. I think the offense is going to come. Right. I think the offense has already really shown some real spurts here and there. But the question is, how committed are you on the defensive end? Because that swing skill could be the thing that makes him right. a legitimate contributor on a playoff caliber team. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, our top three probably on our big board are probably maybe not the same order. Well, you know, I'll go mm-hmm. through my order, but probably the same three players. Right. Uh, your four through 10, what, who would you put in there that I missed or, you know, what, what, what are some players that we should look out for that you really like? So in terms of four through 10, I think we definitely touched, touched on a handful of guys. I think the dude who's like one of the bigger enigmas in this entire draft class is Shaden Sharp. Yeah, he's a guy I had no idea coached. where to put him. I don't know and, what, and what look, to think of him. I can't blame you because when I heard you reading through, first of all, I was it was interesting that you had Benedict Matherin as high as you did, but I honestly, I had no beef with it because I think that he's another one of those guys that like, if the question marks get answered, he could be a really, a really solid upside dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shaden Sharp is a guy that I wasn't shocked that you left out only because of the fact that he is a dude that we just don't, we don't have legitimate tape on. Like the high school stuff was two years ago. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen him do a dribble since. He's a yeah. dude who I think there's a lot of theory around him. He's very, he's like a. I hate that he's like pegged at five on Tankathon to Detroit because I feel like Detroit would be much better with a guy like Jaden Ivey or Keegan Murray, a guy, or even Dyson Daniels Lord, anybody yeah. that they could kind of put next to Cade Cunningham as either another big time scorer as an or as another ball handler or an, another off ball shot yeah. creator. But Shaden Sharp, it's a lot of theory with him. And he seems like a guy who's like a perfect Thunder guy, right? Yeah. He's a perfect, like, he's a dude who like, I, I see if if we go down the draft order, if Detroit doesn't take him at five, the next best team that I see maybe going after him is probably Washington at 10, and that's probably out of their fear of Bradley Beal leaving because mm-hmm. – there's already news with him that like there's a, there's yeah. a lot of different directions with that. And so do you go with a guy with a high upside swing, a lot of mystery that could be a boomer bust player? That's the next team that I see, but he's a guy that I kind of hope falls to I think he fall I hope he falls to 12 to OKC or I hope OKC moves up to get him because I think that's the best team to like figure out what the science experiment mm-hmm. that is Shaden Sharp is. But I he's a guy that if you had it in your top 10, I wouldn't have been like, oh, wow, wait, Brian, mm-hmm. why? But he's a guy that by you leaving him out, I'm also not shocked because it's like, who are we really working with? Yeah. What exactly are we getting with this guy? And I kind of forgot about him um, when I started doing this. 
um, mm-hmm. and started looking in because I'm like, oh yeah, because he didn't play a minute for Kentucky, right? Like you know, no, and not he, at all. you know, and so like in looking at high school tape, you know, even though the tape is a little better now, and we have like um, other tournaments and summer stuff with him, it still is not like it's not as impactful as it is in college because you don't, you're not playing against the same level of talent, the same level of coaches, the same level of, of, of defense. And it makes offense just like those high school slash summer. They're not even AAU teams anymore. I don't even know what to call them. Like the, the, you know, talking about like the impact or like the, the, whatever those leagues are, you know, that that tape's fine, but I was like, man, I don't know where to put this guy. I'm not gonna put him in. I I don't know enough about him to make a decision one way or the other. Like, <laughs> I think he's interesting if you look at like some of the things yeah. that are written about him mm-hmm. and his talent. But I'm also like, how do you like? You're just going off a of high school. Like, it, it's not. And this isn't like, uh, like one of those things where like, yeah, he's got extreme size, right? He's six seven, and he, he's six four. Like he's 6'4", 198 pounds. And so like, I just, anytime a player comes out of high school and he's that small, I'm always like, I don't know. Cause I want to see him. I, I mean, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of players that are 6'4". Yeah. I was going to say, well, Brian, I mean, he's, he's like, he's, he's more like he's 6'4", 6'5", with a near seven foot wingspan. He's a guy who has a really good catch and shoot mechanics. He's a dude who can definitely create off the balance for himself. He's got the James Harden step back in the arsenal, right? He's a guy who I think has a lot of offensive potential as a high flyer, a dude who can Mm -hmm. create for himself. I think the biggest thing is yes, the tail of the tape is a little skewed because of the competition and how long it's been since he was able to produce in that way. But I think there's a lot of stuff with Shaden that does translate to the NBA game, especially on the offensive side, but he's a guy that, you're going to have to take a swing on, right? You're either going to have to be a team that really is looking for a potential superstar pop. And you're willing to kind of do that in the top of the lottery while knowing that you're taking a bit of a swing, or you're one of these teams like Charlotte that has two picks like the Rockets that have two to three picks in the first round. That makes sense. Like OKC that has two picks just in the lottery, right? Those teams that have the ability to take a swing. Hence like, like how, Denver was able to take the swing on Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, a couple years right. ago because they were already a team that was relatively made up of a formidable, you know, postseason esque type of squad. Now let's go for upside hits where mm-hmm. these could be guys that can maybe produce beyond just being yeah. a great plug and play player, right? Well, these teams that go for a guy like that, I think even New Orleans, right? They're a team you walk in with Zion, Brandon Ingram um cj mccullum yeah. you have jose alvarado you have herb jones you have a core of guys where you have a pretty solid rotation set up if you bring shade and sharp in he can be a guy that's surrounded by you know legitimate winning talent yeah. but he's brought along relatively slowly right. trey uh trey murphy the third there's already guys on that team that are going to occupy space as a part of that squad but shade and sharp can maybe burn some minutes as a part of the second unit as a as the point guard or as an off guard maybe next to cj mccullum when you know brandon ingram is off the floor mm-hmm. and different things like that so i think it's gonna for Shaden, it's gonna come down to situation it's gonna need to be a team that either can go all in on his development in terms of letting like throw him in, throwing him on the court and seeing what he can do 
or it needs to be a team that's okay with being able to have him develop in the background and it not impede their ability to still play championship level right. basketball yeah. or at least playoff caliber basketball. Right. And so I think, I think that's going to be huge where he lands. The faith is going to have to be there. Who, anybody else I missed that you would have thrown in there? Um, in terms of who I would have thrown in there, uh, there's so Malachi Branham for Ohio State is a guy that's gotten a lot of burn too. He's a dude that kind of like caught fire for Ohio State because mm-hmm. this was supposed to be like the EJ Liddell re- revenge tour, right? Yeah, he was a guy who went into the draft last year, and I think he did the smart thing, he went into the draft, he picked up some notes came back to Ohio state and he, he is arguably like the most improved player of the NBA draft, right? He took the notes from the NBA draft combine in terms of upgrading on the defensive end as a more active player was one of the better shot blockers in the big 10 at the power forward spot. I think he averaged like two blocks a game, despite being one of, one of like the more undersized four fives in the big 10. He's also a dude who created a lot offensively for that team. He's very Paul Millsap, from like utah-esque to me he's mm-hmm. he's like he gives me a lot of that that type of style of play but a dude i think has a little bit more defensive upside than Millsap mm-hmm. had and in the midst of all that here goes this dude malachi branham who is a smooth silky shooter can really create for himself the only thing is that he's kind of it's kind of wonky it's kind of one of those things where he's a boom bust kind of guy where I think his offense is going to translate in a really great way, but that defense is going to take a little while to come along. And so he's going to be tricky because I think offensively you can put him right in. He's a really solid shooter. He's a really good create off the bounce kind of guy for himself. But that defense, that defense, especially depending on what guard you put him next to, right? A lot of teams uh, that have him in the looks are Charlotte or Atlanta. I don't know how I feel about him next to LaMelo. I don't know how I feel about him next to Trey Young. Mm -hmm. I feel a lot better about him as like a Lou Williams role type guy. A six man comes off the bench and just fills her up. Could be a 20 point per night scorer at any, at any section of his career. But I don't know if he's a guy that right now in this stage of his development, unless that defense pops, because the athleticism is there, the shooting is there. Unless that defense pops, he, he just, comes off as Jordan Clarkson microwave score. And mm-hmm. we know that those guys top out. Tyler Hero, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan Poole, uh, Jordan Clarkson, they're guys that when, yeah. you, when you have size on the other side of the floor, hence, like, for example, the Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. when you have that size on the other side of the floor, something the NBA is translating to or tr- slowly moving towards is bigger guys on the wings. Those, those offensive-only guys – become very unplayable, especially when they start turning into shaky yeah. shooters. So Malachi that, is a guy who I think could definitely fly in that top 10. Johnny Davis, too, out of Wisconsin. But the, the I, I, I feel better about Johnny Davis than I feel about Malachi, but Malachi has gotten a lot of buzz. Branham kind of is a sore spot for here in Central Ohio because uh, I think a lot of us Ohio State fans were looking at him as like, oh, nice. He's going to be back next year. He's going to be even better. He's going to mm. be – nobody expected him to leave. I'll just tell you that. Right, like, I we, agree. We were shocked yeah. when he declared because we were like, all right, this guy's going to lead our team next year. He's going to be a potential, you know, uh, player of the year candidate. Like, mm. he's going to improve. He's going to get better. And then he was like, I'm leaving. And you're like, 
really, dude? Like, right, right. I mean, you had a good season and unexpectedly a good run there towards the end. And like, you really did, like you said, uh, he provided most of the offense um, towards the end of the year for Ohio state. And he came up big in some big spots. And it was like, that was enough to push him. And, and you know, he's getting in mock drafts. He's anywhere from 10 to 15. So I don't blame him for right. going in and taking the money and running, but it just, you know, from Ohio state fan, you're just like, dang, really? Uh, yeah, Johnny, da- <laughs> Johnny Davis is interesting. Cause like, you know, he was another player like I consider for that 10 spot. Um, and I think that he, you know, he could easily, he could easily be one of the top five best players to come out of the Definitely. Draft. You I know, I, 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 there's no, uh, you know, watching his tape and watching him play, um, you know, I watched a lot more big 10 players than anything else because, you know, living in, like I said, Ohio state and right. being a fan, but like, I wonder, I wonder about his defense. That was like the one thing that I, I just felt like he's, he just, he, they, they have him listed at six, four, 200, but if you just put him and Jaden Ivy beside each other, I feel like Jaden Ivy, we're watching them play. Ivy just looks so much bigger than him, like physically, mm. maybe not taller, but just fit like physically bigger. Uh, Johnny Davis looks like slight to me in compared to uh, him. And I, I don't know. I just wonder about his, his size. Cause sometimes they like to, you know, lie about their, their size uh, in some of these, you know? Well, I mean, the thing is, again, another plus wingspan guy. He's a guy who competed heavily on defense on Wisconsin, too. And I think that's really important context for sure about competing on the defensive end, because for Wisconsin, Johnny Davis was the do or die offensively for this team, bro. So, I mean, one of the bigger things, too, is I think that the offensive production, Johnny Davis is a guy who's bursted on the scene, first of all. The fact that Mm. we're even having this conversation about him being a top 10 dude is nuts because there's no way anybody started with Johnny on their board at all, right? Their top 60, Mm -hmm. let alone in the top five, top 10, the way we're discussing him right now. So that's number one. But number two, I think a lot of his overall numbers, yeah, the 19.7 points per game is huge. I know that the 30.6, three-point percentage looks a little sketchy, but you have to look at the fact that, I mean, teams knew Johnny was the guy. Johnny Buckets was the dude that was the mm-hmm. only dude that was really creating yep. offense for them on a regular basis. And we saw in the tournament that when he came in nicked, that took a lot of their mm-hmm. offensive production away, and that got them got. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that – I think his testament to seeing him commit on the defensive end while having that much – of an offensive load, I think actually shows that in a reduced offensive load, that defense, I think, actually will translate in a really good way because you hate to, like, use the word, like, pesky defender because it always seems like you're talking about somebody who's, like, extremely undersized for the position and stuff like that. Johnny's 6'4", 6'5", with a plus wingspan. Like, he's a guy who I think has legitimate defensive chops. He's a guy who I think plays a little bit bigger than he actually is. And I think without having the same level of offensive role that he had which essentially was dang near heliocentric mm-hmm. right this idea yeah. like this, he was dang near the the luca Doncic of wisconsin right? right like in terms of it be, being him or bust offensively him not having that much of a role this is why like an interesting team i hate i, I hate that i keep using them but new orleans is just in such an interesting spot coming off of the playoffs mm-hmm. but new orleans or even the Knicks, for example, a team where they kind of just need a guy that can be, he can be a high volume guy if you need him. But if you need him to just be a guy who can play defense and knock down shots, 
yeah. um, at opportune at opportune times. I think Johnny can come in and do that. So he has a couple of interesting spots where if you just need a guy at the guard spot who can come in, get you buckets, and play a little bit of defense, I think he can do that at a really high level. Is he going to be some all-NBA guy? No, but I think in a reduced right, right. role offensively, you're going to see that defense take a tick up. I, I like that synopsis because I think you're right. And I'm he's another player I'm rooting for because he is like a lot of, of dirt and grit and just heart, you know, and I, I love to see those yeah, players. He's win definitely out. a heart player. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So let's get to the top three. Uh, so okay. for number three, for me, I have Chet Holmgren and I, I am just not, I'm not sold on Chet. Okay. Uh, I, I have him three um, mainly because I think of his offensive skill set. I think okay. his shot is slick. I, I think his um, his understanding of spacing for being as big as he is is really dynamic. And watching him play, like he can attack, he sees a defense and he understands where to attack it, almost like a mm-hmm. guard. Um, I know he blocked a lot of shots, but I feel like that's just because he's tall. <laughs> like I, I don't like I, I don't. You know, I don't have a lot of confidence uh, in his ability to uh, block shots in the NBA. We'll see. I mean, I guess my biggest question here with him is, you know, he he obviously has potential. He's mm-hmm. seven foot. He weighs 195 pounds, and I'm guessing that's soaking wet. He's super skinny. Mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts on Chet? How much do you like him? Where does he rank on your board? And lastly. Why is he not Porzingis 2.0? So starting with how I feel about Chet, I like him as a player. Personally, I have him second in my top three uh, above Paulo. Paulo's number three for me. That might be partially because I like his fit with Houston, but just in terms of a talent standpoint, I also think that Chet has a lot of upside, mainly because if you go back and look at those Gonzaga games, he was a guy who you could see clearly see his game, the way he played the game for Gonzaga was overcompensating for the fact that this Gonzaga squad was a Drew Timmy-led squad. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this earlier on in the podcast when we were talking about Keegan Murray to Luca Garza. I think that Chet Holmgren was a guy that kind of was in a similar boat and kind of more so on the defensive end, he was kind of forced to be much more of a hunker down on that side of the ball. Kind of like how you could argue that like, this is going back a little bit, but like Wendell Carter made Marvin Bagley look a lot better on defense at Duke than he actually was. And I think in a similar way for Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren covered up for a lot of the defensive warts that Drew Timmy has Mm. in a way that Chet Holmgren, his main goal was to be available offensively when possible, Mm -hmm. get the dump downs, get the lobs. He wasn't a guy, he has a legitimate handle. He is a guy who can create off the bounce. He is a really good catch and shoot three-point guy. But he wasn't asked to do those things in Gonzaga Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, Drew Timmy in the post won you a lot of games. Mm -hmm. Andrew Nimhart making decisions at the point guard position won you a lot of games. Their depth overall across the board won them a lot of games. Mm -hmm. So so Chet Holmgren didn't have to be this number one pick-esque player in terms of showing off his bag. He just needed to come in and be a defensive stalwart and show offensive productivity in – a off the ball sense. And mm-hmm. I think that actually helps him in terms of translating to the NBA, because I think he's a guy who can show up defensively and shock 
off and shock opposing defenses with his offensive potential. He's a dude who plays a lot stronger than his body looks. Mm. And he's a guy who I think, well, let's touch on it. Let's actually go into the Christos 2.0 thing, because I think this is where we have to kind of pick things up. And I feel like this is a really big thing that needs to be addressed as we go into the draft. A really weird precedent has been set for a guy like Chet Holmgren because of guys who have come before him. Christos Porzingis and Alexi Pokusevsky are two guys who have set this weird standard for Chet Holmgren as a guy who's going to be theoretically a unicorn, but in a way that you fear is not sustainable. The difference between Chet and Christos, mainly Christos, because Alexi is kind of in his own. Yeah, he he's a way much he's way raw than Kristaps was coming out. Right. Um, and he's much raw than Chet Holmgren is. So let's go just the the Chet to Porzingis comparison. Chet Holmgren defensively is already, I would say, a few steps ahead instinctually as a defensive mm. rim protector than Kristaps yeah. Porzingis is. He's a much better rebounder, I believe, than Kristaps Porzingis is as an instinctive guy who knows how to get the ball off the glass. And I think what makes him better is that he's a guy who can take the ball off the glass and go with it, which is something that I think is going to be huge for him in terms of being able to create yeah. his own offense. But I think the biggest thing about Chet that that I think gets lost in translation in terms of his comparison to Kristaps is Chet Holmgren is a guy who I think you can trust a lot more to have an impact on the game without the ball in his hands. Kristaps is a guy, we saw this a lot in Dallas. If he was not knocking down shots, he was invisible. He was quite literally invisible. Defensively, with the wings that were on the floor for the LA Clippers, he was quite literally played off the floor. These are things that for Chet Holmgren, I do not worry about. And we saw glimpses of that at Gonzaga because since he was not asked to be a high offensive usage guy, he was able to play defense and show his impact as a defensive player that mainly got his offense in short spurts. So let so me ask that's you. That's one of those things I think really translates well in a way that Kristaps didn't have and still doesn't have, I would say. So let me ask you this. Should we be comparing him to Kevin Durant then? Because here's the thing is, you know, the dirty little secret is Kevin Durant's seven foot. Like people don't want to talk about <laughs> right. that for some reason. And he li- he's lied about it for his entire career. But if like you search, like if you Google, like what's Kevin Durant's real height like Mm -hmm. i think bob myers released it was like no he's seven foot when he puts shoes on like the guy is seven foot like for whatever reason he never wanted to be called seven a seven footer and i get it because he he plays primarily on the wing you know he doesn't want to be a power forward or center you know kevin durant yeah i think he even said that in an interview i think the reason why he denies the set the seven foot thing is because seven foot guys always get that you're instructed to be put on the low block and the post moves Mm -hmm. and all that stuff like that and it takes away the offensive freedom that really has unlocked his game as like one of the better offensive guys in the league let alone you know like nba history nba history right so do you think that i mean is that a legit comparison do you think 
So that's scary because we're talking about this kid. One of the greatest of all really, time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about a pretty high caliber. Is this of the next guy Jordan? So, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a little scary. But I, I think one of the important things to talk about, when, especially because if we're going to have this conversation about where does he land in terms of like comparing his skill set to Kevin Durant, I think there's a lot of things that are there that you could say maybe Chet is a guy who you would like to try to patent his offensive game after Mm -hmm. but there's a certain level of offensive creativity with the ball in his hands a much tighter handle Mm. a much sweeter stroke offensively as a as a deep three-point shooter chet's a good three-point shooter but he right we're talking about kevin durant right now right (laughs) at the end of the day right and so i think that's why we're at this weird medium and it's funny because christos porzingis got stamped as a unicorn by kevin durant of all people right? right but that's why we're we're at this weird medium between the theoretical version of what Christoph Porzingis was supposed to be coming out of that draft class and what Kevin Durant's upside, what we've seen over the last couple of seasons is. I think Chet Holmgren, his peak is somewhere in the middle of that because I don't think he's, I don't think he's ever going to be the offensive creator that Kevin Durant is Mm -hmm. but I think that he has the potential to be a much better defensive player than Kevin Durant has ever been interesting and I think on this so I think in a way we need to look at Chet Holmgren less as being like Kristaps and more like being a mutation Mm. I get the 2.0 is like the idea of him being an upgrade yeah I don't think it's an upgrade I think it's literally he is everything that everybody theorized Christos Porzingis as, but with a little bit of a different wrinkle to him that in a way almost makes him a completely different player because Christos is a guy who theoretically was going to be crazy offensively because he's a yeah. big, huge it, guard guy. Right. But the thing is, Chet is that guy, but his defense actually speaks louder volumes for him. Mm, and so that's one of those things that I think kind of makes him an interesting prospect. Um. I worry uh, my my last thing I'll say about Chet, and then we can move on to uh, my number two is I wonder I worry about Chet in the post against you know Embiid or the Joker or you know I just worry about him just getting abused, but we'll see. Um, so I have Paolo at two, so we both have the same number one, and we'll talk about Jamar Jabari in a minute. But mm. the reason I have Paolo at two. Um, and I kind of liked him a little bit more so than Chet is. I, I feel like there is a potential that Chet ends up being a bust. I, if he doesn't fill out, I think that is an issue. His his okay. his his size as far as his weight, his strength. NBA is a whole different game. One thing that Banchero doesn't lack is strength. The dude mm-hmm. is a, a, a dump truck. Um, I think that offensively I think he's going to struggle to be honest with you in the pros because mm. I think he's going to have a hard time and not 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 and I don't mean like forever but I mean initially I think he's going to struggle because he's going to have a hard time getting to his spots uh he's good he's a good playmaker he's a good passer he's got a decent feel for the game and he can he can dribble but one thing I was never really um impressed by watching him in some of his tape is he's not he doesn't have a great jump shot he's not afraid to take a jump shot, but he's not very good, a very good jump shooter. Uh, and I think that 
he's I'm glad he's not afraid to take the shot because I think that makes a difference. You don't want Ben Simmons out there, right? You don't want somebody <laughs> who's afraid to, right. to shoot the ball. Um, so, but I just worry about his offensive game. I don't know he's going to get to the rim as easily as he did in college. And I, I weren't, I also like wonder about his, um, his IQ offensively. Um, I just think his shot selection sometimes, like some of the, like even in the tournament, like I'm just watching him and I'm like, yeah, he's going to shoot it. I can tell he's going to shoot this. And then he would shoot it. And you're just like, why is he shooting? Like it just, there was a lot of times when he just took shots that I think were outside of the game for him. Right. Mm. Um, and I think that he could be, um, I think he could develop into, uh, a much more elite, like almost like big point guard than, um, anything else. Like, I don't, I, he needs the ball in his hands. And that's the other part of this. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I think for him to be as a, the most effective player on the court, he's not good off the ball. He's not. And that's one thing I don't think has been talked about a lot is he hasn't been good off the ball. Anything. I, anytime I watched him, he, he just becomes disengaged. Uh, you know, he, you don't see him cutting to the basket a lot. You don't see him, you know, fighting through, uh, you know, fighting, um, to give his guy a, a, a through a screen and, and get the ball. And he's not a spot up jumper, a jump shooter. Um, but I think defensively, I think uh, he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be a decent defender. He's going to use his body. Um, if he gives effort, you know, because I didn't see that in college. Like he didn't put a lot of effort on the defensive end of the court. I don't know what, I don't know what that was about. Um uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you can key in more on that and like why he didn't seem to be a good defend defender. I, I don't think in in college, but I think he's got the skill set and he's strong and he's quick that he could be an on ball stopper potentially. Um, but yeah, that's where I see Paolo. Why did you have why did you have him at three instead of two? I think it's well. I guess I'm going to ask you a retort, like based off your analysis what makes it where you believe that he's better than Chet to the point that you put him at two? Yeah. So I think what I liked more about him is I just think that his, his floor is a lot higher than Chet's. Like um, I, I view Chet as like a kind of a boomer bust. Like he could be an elite scorer. Like Chet could be, he could be an MVP of the league, I guess. Right. I don't see Paolo ever getting that high, but mm. I think the floor of Chet is, you know, he's, on the bench and he plays, you know, uh, 10, 15 minutes a night because he just, his, he's, his ability to bang on the inside is, is not good or injury. I, I mean, when somebody is that skinny and that fragile, I always worry about injuries. I know that's kind of like, I don't know, not an invoke thing to say, like, to, mm. like, but you know, um, there, and there was just some like awkwardness to his game. I, I just didn't love where I think Paolo was a more traditional, like he's going to be, on, he could be on the court anytime uh, in the playoffs and in the right situation, he could be a superstar as well. That's, I think that's fair. I think my biggest thing with putting Paolo at three is I, well, a, I have a lot more belief in Chet Holmgren's trans translatability mm-hmm. than maybe others do. And there's a lot of people that are on the Chet hype drain in terms of what he could be but i understand that theoretically speaking he is a guy who is still 
an enigma in terms of his player build, right? If you want to like use 2K terms, right? Yeah. There's a guy who, when you kind of plug him in, the question is, is his frame, is the the theory of this looking basketball player, mm. somebody who can translate to the next level. And more specifically, if he's not Kevin Durant, right. Mm-hmm. And he's more Kristaps Porzingis. How do we view that? If he's a guy that's taken number one or number two mm-hmm. overall, right. Cause we viewed it. We viewed it significantly right. on the negative because Kristaps Porzingis was, ta- Porzingis was taken number four. Right. Yeah. So I think if you apply similar circumstances, when you look at that enigma of that kind of player build, if you're not the Kevin Durant that got taken top two, you're a very interesting build, but you play above the stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? The guy who couldn't bench press the bar, they, the jokes like right, that yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. When you play beyond that, way beyond that, right? You're the guy that's praised as being the guy that's like this new this new version of what the NBA could be. And Mm -hmm. when you fall into the Porzingis injury prone, never really showed us a whole lot, had that one all-star year and never truly built upon it. You're viewed in history a lot differently. And the question is where, which end of the spectrum does Chet fall in? And I can see why maybe Porzingis isn't a bust yet, but being on his third team in a couple of seasons definitely puts him in a weird spot in terms of where you view him um in draft history so i i understand what you're saying now let's focus on paulo because that of course that's who you're talking about in terms of being your second for me paulo is a guy who i think offensively he's going to translate day one i actually Mm -hmm. believe much more in him translating offensively to start than defensively i think defensively is where he's going to struggle because i think the question for paulo is the effort i think his effort level is going to be the one because the physical build there he's everything that i think when you try to traditionally build a let's play character in 2k he has all of the physical exactly the handling the passing ability the touch he's a guy that i think you would want, like, if you had to create a player, Paulo would have all of the physical attributes that you would want in that kind of guy. And the motor is the question more so on the defensive end. That's what's I so think, weird, right? Like, because, I mean, uh-huh, he right. should be a good defender. Yeah, like, he should and I be. think the funnier part is offensively, if you go through Paulo tape, Brian, watch him play off of the minute he gets the ball. If Paulo makes a decision mm. the minute he touches the ball, takes the ball, sweep, into dribble, pound dribble, goes in for either a layup or dunk, takes it, gets the ball, instantly drives to the lane. When Paolo Bencaro is a quick decision maker, yeah. he is one of the better basketball players on the floor in any given night. It's when Paolo tries to show out his bag, he tries to pull out the ball handling, right. he starts to overthink it, that he puts himself in a really disadvantageous situation for him offensively because that's when things slow down. He doesn't have the tightest handle. He's not a guy who's just Jokic zipping passes, right? He's a guy that when he makes a quick decision, he makes a quick move and he commits to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a bucket automatically. The pull-up jumper, bucket. The one dribble pull-up, bucket. The two dribble pound into the into mm-hmm. the paint, going for a foul, using his physicality to finish through contact, bucket. It's when he tries to tap into that bag, mm-hmm. at least in these early developments, right? He's maybe he's a guy that gets a, I don't know if J- Jason Tatum's not a great example in terms of this, because that bag is deep, but mm-hmm. he might be a guy who gets a little bit of a bag and create out of that for himself. 
But as of right now, he is a guy with his physical stature, with his play type ability, with his play style. His, the best way for him to play is to make quick decisions and commit to them when it comes to the offensive end. And when he plays like that, I think he's going to be a player that could average 17, 18 points a night yeah. out the gate. Yeah. I really yeah. do. I really and, do. And that's kind of why I had him at two is because I, I can see that being mm-hmm. his career. Like I could just see him between 17 and 22 for his career. With Definitely. Yeah, with, definitely. You know, five assists, eight rebounds a game just – through his career. Do I think he could go higher? Yeah, he could go a little higher, but I don't think he can go much lower. Right. That's my opinion. And I just don't understand the defense of like lack of intensity. Like I just don't get it. Like, I I feel like he should like that. Again, we talk about the right fit. Like, I don't want to see Paolo on Houston. I just think it's a, okay. Because that team is a mess. Right. I mean, it created (laughs) Christian wood. And I'm, I'm saying this because like, you look at the locker room guys there and it's just all over the place. Right. But Christian mm-hmm. Wood's gone. So that's a, kind of a good thing, I think for young players, but you know, you still have Porter jr. There who has been notoriously kind of a head case. Right. And I, I just, I, I just wonder about the situation. Like to me, the best fit would be for him to go to somewhere like OKC where you have surrounded by all these talented players, right? There's so many Mm -hmm. talented players, young players, and it seems that they are invested in coaching up talent. That would be, that would be the same thing for Chet. I think whoever, one of these players is going to land in OKC. And I think that's probably going to be the player who ends up having the best career. Because I think if, if, if Chet does go to OKC and a lot of people will have him go in there, they are going to maximize this talent. Mm-hmm. And so this might make me look like a fool. You know what I mean? Um, and I think a lot of it depends on that. Uh, now let's switch to Jabari real fast. Cause I, I don't want to run out of time, but to me, Jabari is when I think of a basketball player, like we talk about designing a 2k basketball player, he is everything I want. Like, I just love his skill set. I love watching him play. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful stroke. Uh, hard worker, doesn't give up on a play. I think he's going to be an excellent rebounder in the NBA um, because I think he's going to be asked to attack the boards by a team. You know, I don't think he's going to set back. And he is a – and this is just my opinion. If he's not the best, he is going to be one of the best defenders in the league or in this draft. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um he obviously struggles handling the ball. That's like his biggest knock. I, to me, that's something I think he can work on. Um, and if he's in a position that where he's not asked to handle the ball a lot, that's even better. But to me, Jabari is the number one draft pick. If you pass him up, I think you're making a big mistake. I feel you. And Brian, as somebody who's been on this podcast pretty frequently, but not frequently enough for people to know, I'm not super big on making bold predictions. Mm. But when it comes to Jabari Smith, I'm penciling this guy in for 18 and seven off top rookie year. I don't know if that gets you rookie of the year. It's going to be really interesting to see how the other two guys circumstances. It's going to be it's interesting to see a lot of these guys circumstances, because I think there's a lot of diamonds in the rough later on in this draft that might be able to make some noise. Mm -hmm. But Jabari Smith, I'm penciling him in for 18 and seven right now. He's active on the glass. He's definitely one of those big time wing defenders. He's going to be a part of a part of an Orlando Magic team that 
has a lot of size across the roster, right? If you are, if you're a Jonathan Isaac believer, like I tend to be on every given season, uh, same, if he's, same. if he's healthy, that's a lot of, there, there's size there. Window Carter, Franz Wagner, who was big time last year, you could argue was like really in the thick of it in terms of that rookie of the year mm-hmm. race. Markel Foles, they have legitimate size across the roster. Jabari Smith adds to that. Really solid lateral quickness. Like I said earlier in, in uh, the episode, I think he's the best shooter in this draft class, which I think also helps him big time because I think that Orlando, OKC, or the Rockets would all love to get a big time shot creator slash mm-hmm. big time shooter on the wing. And he's a guy that I honestly don't even think has scratched the surface as a shot creator for himself yet, which I think is a really important thing because if he unlocks that, oh, buddy. Yes, I agree. <laughs> then, then we are talking about something special. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting thing, too, when you look about look at Jabari Smith moving forward is he's a guy who I think is a high energy, high effort player. He's going to come out and I think he's going to make noise early. And maybe he struggles a little bit because of his point guard situation, similar to how in certain games he struggled in due to his point guard mm. situation at Auburn. Yeah. But I think that this is a situation, especially just the NBA play style nowadays with the score, with the court being much more open, the spacing being a lot better. Circumstances say that he has a really good chance to be a knockdown shooter, yeah. a high energy player on the glass and a dude who in transition could be dangerous as a catch and shoot three point shooter as a trails three point shooting guy or a dude who plays above the rim and gives you some electric mm-hmm. uh, electric dunks that could really wake up an Orlando Magic team that i think is actually if they're healthy across the board could be a really solid defensive team yeah next yeah. year with the kind of bodies they have the same way we saw um Toronto this year kind of play above their size i think that orlando i'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team or anything but i think they're going to be a really interesting team to watch with the kind of size they have across the roster if you add a shot maker like jabari Mm -hmm. smith to that man i I think they could just be they could be really interesting to watch i i'm with you there because my my thing and i've 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 really liked their draft because i was a big uh jalen suggs guy i still think he's going to be a decent NBA point guard. I think mm-hmm. in a lot of what I'm saying about these are very similar. They give effort. Jabari Smith gives effort. Jonathan mm-hmm. Isaac was uh, that, you know, I had him in my top five that year um, coming in because I love the way he played defense. I loved his motor. And I thought, you know, all he had to do really was develop a jump shot from the corner and he would be, you know, almost like Draymond 2.0. Uh, his defensive IQ is just off the charts. Fortunately, mm. he's had some disastrous injuries. Um, but I love this team as well. Uh, Wagner surprised the heck out of me. They've got a lot of good young talent on the team for sure. Mm. And I'm really, really, if, if Jabari goes there, I, I mean, I legit think this dude could be, you know, borderline all-star his first year. And I know that people mm. are, kind of shaking their head like what are you talking about i just think he's <laughs> going to be so good on the defensive end he's going to make plays and he's going to hit open shots mm-hmm. and in the nba there's a lot more space and right there's a lot more opportunity for him i think on this orlando team to really make an impact i love jabari smith to me there's no question he should be the number one pick in the draft. I know people love Chet, I know people love Paolo, but to me it's always been Jamari Jamari Smith. 
That's the way I look at it. I feel you. I mean, the way I'm putting it, Jabari Smith at one. I think the dude averages 18 and seven out the gate. I think he's going to be a guy that maybe struggles in the first couple of games, mm. just getting an understanding of the new NBA spacing, the kind of freedom that he's going to have to maybe create off the bounce. I think the spacing will actually aid him mm-hmm. in being able to learn more about being able to create offense for himself. Yeah. And if he tightens up that handle, then things are going to even get even crazier mm-hmm. in terms of him being a guy who you could trust to be a legitimate ball handler on the wing. I think Jabari Smith is going to be a really interesting prospect. And although I think that all three of these guys have a really great opportunity ahead of them with the circumstances they may be going into, I think Jabari Smith has the best upside to the point that I think regardless of if he goes to Orlando, OKC, or the Rockets, I think he has the chance to make the most impact as a high upside player, regardless of what team he lands on, as opposed to maybe Paulo and Chet, where maybe you fear a little bit about their fit or mm-hmm. what their productivity out the gate may be, yeah. depending on the roster they end up on. Right. Yeah. Well, we did it. We covered uh, <laughs> the draft, I think, pretty well. Is there anything else you want to say about the draft? Anything we missed? Any players you want to spotlight? Um, I think we did a pretty good job because even, you know, we, we covered some players that I didn't have in my top 10. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty excited about the draft overall. I'm really excited to see what my bulls decide to do. I kind of hope we don't keep the 18th pick out of the mm-hmm. fact that I'm hoping that we got a trade ahead of us. But even with that being the case, I think this is a draft that maybe the talent level has a significant drop off to most people after the top four or five. Mm-hmm. But I think this is one of those draft classes where, at the end of the day, man, if you want to, if we want to play the copycat league card, one of the things that we definitely learned throughout this entire postseason, regardless of the team that won the championship, is depth really matters. The ability mm-hmm. to have five players on the floor who are not net negatives on either side of the floor, whether that's offensively, they're a guy that you can't trust to be able to create shots or knock down three pointers for you, or just knock down open shots in general, Mm. or on the defensive end, just being a cone, being a turnstile. Mm -hmm. Those are things that really hurt you as a team that's going to make the postseason. So I think this is one of those drafts where maybe we don't get a lot of crazy superstar swing potential type of dudes, but I think we could see a lot of guys that have like eight to 10 year career level talent in them where they can mm. be dudes who carve out space as fifth, six, four, four, five, six, seventh men on teams that are legitimately, you know, making runs to the playoffs or yeah. legitimately making runs throughout the postseason. And I think that's going to be more of what this draft is. It's not going to be guys that are plug and play superstar caliber dudes, but more so guys that can fill roles for teams that might maybe not be the swing, the swinging, you know, player from day one as a rookie in terms of, oh, this is the guy who puts them over the top, but a guy who could develop based on their school skill set into the guy who maybe helps put that team over the top. Yeah, I think uh, four through 20 is like a wild card central. And we, you Mm -hmm. could, you could, there's a a bunch of players that we didn't mention today that can make impacts on teams that um, I think, you or I may have not seen coming that just just feels like that kind of draft where like, you, you, I feel like the top three are pretty much that they're going to uh, at least play in the league for a while and be borderline Mm all-stars. And then 
there might be a slight drop off. And then who knows, like the 15th overall pick, you know, maybe, maybe it's somebody we didn't even mention all of a sudden they're, you know, the best player in the draft. And you're like, where did that come from? Um, right. Exactly. But I, I I'm with you. Um, all right. Uh, Jay, where can we uh, hear more of you on the internet? Yeah, man. Typical stuff. Basketball genius, AKA the knockdown Jay. It's all the same thing at this point. Uh, Baltimore sports and life. There's going to be a lot of work coming out after tonight. Pretty much after tomorrow's draft is over, winners and losers. Um, what the league's biggest takeaways from the finals should be as a copycat league is something that I actually want to write about, mm. which is so interesting that we got to talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit on this podcast. I think there's a lot of copycat league as stuff that the league that the 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 other 28 teams are really going to try to build upon based off what they saw in the finals. And although, like I said, it's not duplicable, there are some interesting yeah. things that some other teams across the league might have a, a, a certain pathway towards, and you know, they're going to try to exercise yep. it, of course. So that's another thing that I definitely have on my mind. And Brian, I start YouTube this week, man, which is going to be kind of awesome. fun too, in terms of doing the knockdown J on YouTube. So I have a couple of video ideas already out. TikTok, I'm hoping to revive this week after having a little bit of a hiatus. So yeah, just a lot of work on the internet. Like I said, if you search the basketball, if you look basketball genius one, or you type in the knockdown J, one of them is going to pop up with my face on it at this point. And then of course, still my work for the Baltimore sports in life. Awesome. I look forward to all that stuff from you, Jay. Uh, I'm going to be live streaming uh, on the YouTube page uh, to guys. One hoop, the, the, the draft tomorrow, keeping my thoughts and uh talking i'll probably take some of your talking points from here uh just so you know uh i'll probably be repeating some of the things that that jay said because uh i learned a lot tonight and so thank you for that uh remember you you can always email the podcast two guys one hoop at gmail.com check out the call to pop.com i might uh actually have an article coming up pretty soon uh about um this draft i'm i haven't written a whole lot about sports on there it's been mostly movie stuff but um i kind of want to uh i kind of want to cover uh the nba on there a little bit differently than i have in the past so it might happen might not but we'll we'll, we'll see um looking forward to that yeah uh but i think that's gonna do it for this episode of two guys one hoop we'll catch you on the flip side see you